Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Hey everybody, this is Guys with Bibles. I'm Sean. And I'm Lee. And today it's, well, happy Easter everybody. Happy and, uh, Easter! This is a little bonus episode. We're going to be reading a few passages here about the uh, passion of Christ and the uh, and, and ending with the resurrection. So uh, you want to go ahead? Oh wait, I'm reading first, aren't I? You can read first if you like. Okay. I'm already messed up. <laughs> so, so, Sean, you, up. you're going to read our first passage. Yeah, and that is Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Um, Jesus prays in Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That's some dark stuff right there. Yeah, do you want to go ahead and just talk about each passage after yeah. we read it? Okay. Yeah, let's let's we'll just go ahead and, and talk about it a little bit. And I really like um seeing Jesus in Gethsemane praying. Um it's especially good in John when we get the high priestly prayer too, but uh this is really good because we're seeing the humanity of Jesus at this dark point in his life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we don't really, we run the risk sometimes of of making Jesus 
like he floated just above the ground and and uh and just like shot rays of sunshine all over the place and uh but you know he he was he was um truly god and truly man and here we see him struggling in prayer with the work that he's about to go do on the cross And, and not only worrying not maybe not worrying but not only troubled about the cross itself but the greater spiritual significance of the cross that he was about to bear the sins of all the elect that were to come in the fullness of time. And he was going right. to take all that weight on himself. Um, that's tremendously painful. Yeah, a lot of people forget that um, Christ, although he was fully God, he was also fully man. And he that's what's so special about Jesus Christ. He, he can fully relate with those that he saved because he he felt the same pain the same emotional distress everything everything that we have ex- we experience in life he experienced in his life and uh we can be sure that because of that he's he's there with us supporting us no matter what occurs in our life you know that that's one of the the big uh, standout um, aspects of Christianity against all other types of religion is that uh, in other, in every other pagan religion, you either have a god that is basically just a person with special powers, with all of the uh, sinfulness and short-temperedness and selfishness of that any human person does. So I'm kind of thinking of like you know the Greek pantheon there, where they're basically just people with special powers, you know. Yeah. Um or you have they were religions. Aliens. Yeah, aliens essentially. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. And but then you can also contrast that with uh religions like Buddhism that are essentially atheistic but put one man or one man's teachings on a pedestal uh that you're required to live by and venerate. Um yeah. and that's true of so many cult leaders as well. Um, sometimes they co-opt the scriptures, oftentimes they co-opt the scriptures and pretend to be the Messiah or a prophet or something like that, or they just go off on their own. Um, I was thinking about like, uh, Heaven's Gate, you know, they, they twisted a part of Revelation to say that they were hearkening, uh, or, or they were, uh, bringing about the end of the world, uh, because they were the two witness, the two witnesses in Revelation, but when it all boils down to it, it's all man-centered, and only Christianity has God becoming a man and dying in the place of man where man should have died in order to give him or her uh, the righteousness that only God has in order to have a relationship with God. And that no other religion delivers that, would, ne- would right. never consider that because it doesn't glorify man, which is really what all of us want deep down in our sinful hearts is to be glorified. We, it's, uh, it's the only religion and Christianity is the only religion where you literally can't do anything to save yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty much every other religion. And that's, that's a huge generalization and I apologize, but, (laughs) but it's a true generalization because, but pretty much every other religion uh, is, it's works based and you have to do something in order to achieve whatever your salvation is nirvana or 
paradise or what you, you have to do something in order yeah for it to happen and in christianity your works are as filthy rags absolutely and uh did you know the uh, this is this is pretty gross you know you know what the (laughs) literal literal translation of filthy rags is i do but i want you to say it instead of me (laughs) (laughs) it was like menstrual cloths basically which is that's the stuff that would make you unclean in the yeah that yeah and that would make you unclean and not uh able to be around the nation of Israel worship you couldn't worship God yeah, basically you couldn't go to the tabernacle or the temple if you were in in that condition or touch somebody in that condition um so, so e- even your best works are dirty in the sight of God yeah so that's why we need a savior now i wanted to talk about uh verse 39 where jesus says uh let this cup pass from me oh yeah um i've ran into several people that are like what the heck does that mean if you go back and into the old testament uh the psalms all over the cup is a representation of god's wrath and uh obviously he was going to be drinking from this cup it's not a literal cup he was gonna drink the whole cup yeah he was gonna drain it <laughs> including all sucker. the all the terrible uh sediment at the bottom that, that yeah. sometimes wine will get he drank but, all the the bitter part but yeah that's just a uh, a way of him saying you know if there's a way that your wrath can pass over me and this not happen and but I, your will be done yeah right and you know and it's not that Jesus would violate ever violate God's will but here we're kind of seeing the tension between his divine nature and his human nature, because even though the, he knew from the very beginning this is this is part of the covenant of redemption that he would come, die, rise again, and and take a people for himself. But still, the the existential terror that any human would feel uh, facing their own death. Um, is is something that was very real to Jesus, especially at this time, and you know, I I I can feel his sadness when he goes he goes back. He he he's praying earnestly out of his troubles. He goes back and finds his disciples totally comforted in sleep. You know, they're sleeping in the garden. It was a, it's a peaceful yeah. it's a peaceful place, especially at night up on the hillside. Uh, probably a great place to sleep out under the stars. You know. And uh, they're perfectly at peace, have no idea what, what in the world he's going through. So he's suffering, and other, other gospel accounts say that he's sweating blood. He's that, he's that stressed out, and here they are in, in virtual comfort uh, that he is all alone. Yeah, that, I've never really dug that deep into that, Lee. That, that's, that's a bit depressing. It is depressing. It's su- it's super depressing. Easter's wow. depressing, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is. At least the the beginning part, the Good Friday yeah, part, that... is pretty dark. Yeah. Speaking of that, do we want to move on to? We're gonna fast forward through the trial. I could go on and on about the trial, but for the oh, sake yeah. of you know, for the sake of time, I do want to say I I find it uh, interesting. You know, with the release of Barabbas, 
you know, the first person who'd ever been uh, released from certain punishment because uh, Jesus took his place. Um, but it's also interesting that Barabbas, the only name we have for him, means basically son of the father. Like he doesn't have a proper name. It's just son right. son of a father. And it, it, I think it's so fascinating that the son of a father, low, lower caps in English, uh, his punishment is vacated and the son of the father, capital S, capital F, takes his place on the cross. Yeah. I think that's kind of a fascinating play on words that happens there. Yeah, and then uh, also real quick, I, I just wrote a blog not too long ago. Blogs! Uh, Hosea- Hosanna, and the, the title was Hosanna, and I, I talked about how the, the, the same people that uh, were cheering and uh, celebrating when Christ came back to Jerusalem on the Sunday, uh, the week before he resurrected, um, he, uh, they were, they were shouting Hosanna, which essentially translates roughly, uh, save us, O Lord, or save me, O Lord. And, uh, those same people at the end of the week were shouting crucify him. And little did they know that the crucifixion was going to save them. That's that, that's that spiritual blindness that people were, were under, you know, Jesus said throughout his ministry that, you know, like for instance, his use of parables that those who, uh, who see may not see. And those who are, who can see become blind. It's to expose that spiritual blindness of the sinful heart. They had no idea what they were asking. All right, so we're going to fast forward to Matthew 27, verses 32 through 44. This is the crucifixion. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they, get, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So we're seeing, even as Jesus hangs on the cross here, people who heard him in his ministry watched him do miracles. Um, They're still mocking him, making fun of him, and and, uh, despising him even as he uh, hangs there dying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because it's not like, well, he didn't tell everybody this, but he told the apostles, I mean, numerous times that this was going to happen. 
and they never it never quite clicked in their heads you know that it, it, it was going to happen and when it did happen they basically all scattered except for john mm-hmm. right right yeah john was the only one that actually remained there at the at the foot of the cross well, one interesting one one reason I I really like the Matthew passage here is because even though it's missing the commonly known uh, vignettes like Jesus saying, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Also, this this passage doesn't include what you were talking about just a couple minutes ago with the the two thieves, the one who confesses faith in Christ and the other who who uh, mocks Jesus until the very end. But just like Matthew right. does throughout his whole gospel, he's continually pointing back to uh, messianic prophecy and showing all the various ways that Jesus fulfills it. And in this passage, you see not only the fact that he was crucified on Golgotha, which was a common place for crucifixions because the hill did look like a skull, but it was also outside the camp, um, which taking things outside the camp is is seen all through the Old Testament where unclean things had to be removed outside the camp and uh and like the the goat the scapegoat which is where we where we get the term scapegoat um is released right, yeah. outside the camp carrying away the sins of people that have touched it and i believe the uh the, the red heifer was uh yeah care, taken outside of the camp yeah, to be sacrificed right. as well and that was the purification for anybody mm-hmm. yeah that had come in contact with a corpse or had to deal with death yeah. so yeah. any anybody who had any knowledge of of the uh levitical uh commands on that on that stuff would would have recognized oh man they took him outside the camp but beside that you know dividing up his garments that's covered in the psalms um and uh and also the fact that he was he was uh, numbered with the transgressors and hung between two robbers is also uh hearkening yeah. back to the uh to the prophecies so we yeah and this always you can always go back to isaiah 53 mm-hmm. too there's even down to the wagging wag people just, wagging their heads yeah yeah those details are put in there for a reason uh, and then also you've got in verse 40 where they where people say, oh, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, so go ahead and save yourself. That's a, another example of that spiritual blindness that was going on. Like They thought he was talking about the literal temple uh, as it stood in Jerusalem yeah. when he was really talking about himself and that he certainly would do it, but they would, the, number one, they wouldn't believe it, and, uh, and they hated it, the idea of it. Yeah, basically what it was was, you know, in the new covenant the dwelling place of god is no longer in mm-hmm. the temple it is christ you know it within that body that's the dwelling place of god right which is proven just a few verses later in uh in verse 51 here where the where the curtains torn in two the curtain the curtain that's, oh, yeah, curtain call. <laughs> yeah the, oh, another blog uh-huh. of mine this is just, it hasn't released yet, though, folks. Yeah, as of this recording, it hasn't been released yet. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a super important detail because the fact that the death of Christ has now broken down, as it says in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So so Jesus was able to 
tear out the dividing wall between God and man, symbolized in the temple between the the curtain that divided the the regular worship space with the holy of holies, where the uh, where the ark of the covenant would sit. So now you know the whole point of the temple was to provide that dwelling place for God to separate out the holiest place where where the ark uh, stood. That's no longer relevant because Jesus now is our temple, um, and we go and we have access to God through Him and through His sacrifice and His resurrection on our behalf. Right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hey, so, hey man. man. <laughs> hey man. Also, it's kind of weird in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews ten. Um, when I was writing this blog. I've read Hebrews several times, but it just kind of popped out at me, and it 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 sounded different than what I usually read it. And it was an it all it was was an analogy. It wasn't actually saying you know this is this. It wasn't a type of Christ or anything like that. But um, it compared the curtain being torn in two to Christ's body being torn on the cross, and how it it spanned the the uh the the break in the relationship between God and man that the torn body of Christ. So I, I thought that was interesting. Speaking of resurrection how about we go there, huh? Mark sixteen. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I'm going to... I refrained from noting this on my blog, but I... I can't let it go. Um, did you know I went to Israel? <laughs> oh, here we go. What's interesting... I'm sick of it! <laughs> I only bring this up because I do think it's relevant. So, uh, there, there is the garden tomb there in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, not too far away from Golgotha, which doesn't look much like a skull anymore because the Catholics built a chapel on top of it, and collapsed one of the eye sockets, but that's another story for another time. Uh, dirty Catholics. Uh, ruining everything over there. Anyway, <laughs> uh, don't even get me started on uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Uh, that We could do a whole bonus episode just on that, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, an interesting detail here is um, in verse 5 where it says, Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, so obviously an angel. What's interesting about this garden tomb is that 
it is a mirror image of most uh, tombs from that time period where you would generally enter the cave and the body would be on the left. But if you go in this tomb, and it's, it's really spacious for a tomb. Like, you can go in there and stand up. You know, it's, it's that carved out. But the place where you put the body is on the right side, which is, like I, like I said, it's a mirror image of the way that they would normally make them back then based on other archaeological evidence. So it's an outlier that way. So it's, you know, if we consider that, this angel would have been sitting where Jesus' body would have been laid, and a lot of people believe, and I'm, I'm kind of on this side, that, that that tomb might very well be the tomb where Jesus was laid and where he uh, stood up and walked out. Um, and right, and you said, you also said it's pretty close super to... Super close, like, it's Golgotha. like, p- just paces away from Golgotha. Because, I mean, imagine, you know, carrying a, a full-grown mm-hmm. man, dead weight, mm-hmm. you're not going to want to... Yeah carry him very and plus you, you think who who took him down off the cross was it joseph of arimathea and mary and mary uh and um yes and and, and i think also uh nicodemus nicodemus he was involved too i don't know if he took him down from the cross yeah. but he was involved in conveying jesus body but i mean think you're about not gonna want to go too far and so know, like from you're not going to want to go too far with a so body. So we were on so. the property of the Protestant group that runs the garden tomb. So we're sitting just like on these on these benches. So there is just a very small road between where we sat and the actual face of Golgotha. And then we basically just walked down some steps and the tomb was right there. So I mean it was I like I literally it's just a few paces away. Um which is you know, I think lends a lot of evidence to it being very probably the place where Jesus' body would have been laid. Um, and here, uh, he tells them, he I, he says a, a really interesting thing here to them. Uh, I gotta turn back to it now. Uh, he says, "Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here." Now I know, you know. Anytime somebody sees a uh, an angel in scripture, he all the angel always tells them, "Don't be afraid, don't be afraid." Um, but in in the Nasby, it says, "Don't be surprised." And oh, and I I'm kind of curious about that because in a way, kind of, I a- think the angel is reminding them, "Don't be surprised." Not only don't be surprised that he went to the cross. Don't be surprised or actually I think he says amazed. Do not be amazed. Sorry, I said that I said that wrong. He says do not be amazed. So they should have known all along. Jesus was telling constantly, right. I'm going to I'm going to the cross, the temple will be destroyed and it will yeah, the be su- the son of man's going to be lifted yeah, up. It'll and... be rebuilt in 3 days. So, you know, don't don't start marveling at this because you should have known Jesus taught you this all along. Have hope, don't be amazed. And I'm I'm kind of uh I'm kind of intrigued by that. Because you know, we are so prone to forgetting what Jesus says. We have to be reminded constantly. That's kind of part of the reason that we we go to worship on the Lord's day week in and week out because in the course of the week 
we we start to get um, bogged down and forget Jesus and what He's done, and we have to be reminded of the gospel constantly. I'm I'm horrible. I I sometimes I forget about it like hours Me after too. church. All right. So one one final section. I suppose. Are you reading the CSB? Oh no. Heavens no. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> I had Give to. me a break. Yeah, John 21. Uh I'm not going to do the whole thing, but uh um I'll do Let's do John 21, verses 1 through 14. Um, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Even though this isn't... I know we're, we're <laughs> for some reason we're kind of doing the passages that we don't hear very often at Easter time. Um, but yeah. I really like this passage. It's one of my favorites because like John does so well, you you get to see the tender heart of Jesus for people, especially for the disciples. And I, I really like how this story kind of bookends the beginning of of uh of Jesus' ministry where he's he's calling these fellows by the sea as they're fishing, and in fact, uh showing them, you know, performing a miracle so that they do catch a, re- a remarkable amount of fish after a long time of failure. And, and that's kind of how they knew that it was him, because Jesus had done this before. They didn't have to ask him, because they could tell by what he, what he was doing. And he, and he shares breakfast with them, not unlike the Last Supper. And it kind of was the Last Supper for them, really. I mean, they got to share one last meal with him before he ascended to the right hand of God. Right. And I thought it's kind of... I'm sure there's actually no real line drawn here, but... I hear bread mm-hmm. and fish, and I think of feeding yep. the five thousand, and uh, and they didn't run out. Nice little, and they didn't. I would hope not. They had one hundred and fifty-three <laughs> fish, and there's only a few guys there. That's a big, big old, old breakfast. breakfast. Well, you know? know, and Jesus already had fish on the fire before they even before Peter even brought. Them. <laughs> so. Yeah, he was like, "These are kind of dry. Bring some of those others <laughs> over here." 
I, I just think it's amazing <laughs> that, you know, Jesus, having just gone to the cross and returned from the dead, just as he promised, now is spending time with his disciples, eating with them. You know, the, the whole importance of that yeah. communion around the table. And he provided everything. You know, he didn't have to use fish that Simon caught. Uh, he didn't have to ask them for bread. Uh, he had all that. And he, in the same way, Jesus is still pouring out grace upon grace to us um, and fulfilling our needs even yeah. now. Yeah, I, I think we can, you know, draw from the the amount of fish that, you know, he told he, he told them to cast their net and they pulled in this ridiculous amount of fish <laughs> that should have destroyed their nets and it didn't. Um, in that we can see, you know, how abundant God's grace mm-hmm. is for us. Absolutely. Well, and I, the the bottom line of the whole thing is that, um, is that Jesus was is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Uh, he followed his Father's will all the way through, no matter the struggle, no matter the pain, uh, and just at, like we've spoken before in in episodes past about the covenant of redemption, he did exactly um, as as the Trinity covenanted together to do. He he came. And he lived a righteous life. He died a death we should have died, and he rose from the dead um, and promised that we would too. And uh, his perfect righteousness is credited to us when we repent of our sins and believe in him. That's what Easter's all about, and I and that's why. <laughs> hey, man. Oh. And that's uh, no, no. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, the uh, the resurrection delivers hope delivers hope to the to every believer um and it's it's not it's not a hope for anything that in the near future well it could be you never know but uh it's a hope for everlasting life it's a hope for the the new heavens and the new earth you know that's where we're meant and it begins now and that and and it begins now that's why like people people will talk about you know how the kingdom of god is is already but not yet you know we have a, yeah. a kind of a beginning taste of the glory of the kingdom now um as we're part of the visible church and uh the kingdom is only going to become more and more real as we await jesus return to fully inaugurate uh the kingdom of god where god will dwell with man yeah and it when 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 someone dies uh Someone that is a believer dies in Christ, and a lot of people are like, "Well, they're home now," mm-hmm. and uh, and it's true. Yes, you 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 die in faith in Christ, and you will go be with the Lord right, right. then. But our bodies were separated from our bodies, and we were created for bodies. And our hope is that one day, when Christ returns the believers will be will we will have our bodies back they will be perfect they will be glorified just as mm-hmm. Christ's body is and and we're going to be living in this this perfect world that's not been corrupted by sin all that's been gone no more pain no more suffering no more tears and uh because sin will be fully Absolutely. done away with and uh that that's the that's the hope of Easter. And, that's the and hope for of every the person who's right who's there. tired of their sin now and tired of the sin that surrounds us and uh, 
and, and we struggle with constantly, struggle against. Uh, I think we all long not only for the day when sin is over, but we can finally um, we can finally dwell and interact with face to face with the God that um, that redeemed us and and uh, made us His children when we didn't deserve to be, and still don't deserve to be. <laughs> it's amazing. No. All right. I don't. G R A C E. I almost misspelled it. G R A Y C E. It's that that grace life. I, th- I that's all I, I got. That, you that's have all anything I got. else to add, Lee? I'm exhausted with all this glory. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I can't handle it. All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, have a wonderful, happy Easter. And this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out.